You're listening to Pastor Jesse Miller of City Lights Church. Romans chapter 8 verse 14. For all, the, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs to God, heirs of God, and fe- fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be re- revealed to us. For the creation waits for an, with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. So here this pastor, passage says that we have been adopted as children of our God. And there's a spirit now because we're adopted in us that makes us cry out to the Father, Abba, Father. And in our home groups... Somebody asked, what is this ABBA word? It's not a band from the 70s. That's what you're thinking. It's not, it's not music. It's, there's something. This word ABBA is an Aramaic word meaning father, but it's not just like, hey, father, nice to meet you, father. It's, it's a childlike intimacy word. Like my little girls would come up to me and call me daddy. There's a, there's a different feeling between, oh, happy Father's Day. Good to see you. And dad, daddy. Or like a kid says mom or whatever, mommy, whatever that little word is. It's a, it shows an intimacy and a trust. Does that make sense? There's a word that implies there's a trust here. So the spirit, once we've received Christ into our hearts, when we say, I need you as, as my Savior and Lord. When we receive that, the Holy Spirit puts something in us that looks to our Heavenly Father and makes us have an intimacy and a trust that cries out, Abba, Father. Does that make sense? So we've received this. And I was thinking about this as we're looking at the series here about what does a family look like. I think the first thing, after we talk about last week, how do we get into the family, we need to understand what is it when Scripture talks about God being our Father, that we are His children now and He is our Father. And so when we hear the verse that says, we cry out, Abba, Father, and there's this like intimacy, this closeness, there's this close trust between him. I feel like a lot of us, when we think of the word father, we have different backgrounds, different experiences. So like last week we talked about the word family might mean one thing for you, but it looks very differently for the person beside you because of their experience. The same thing's true with the word father, that we look at a father figure, whatever yours was, and it can be a very different experience or idea in your head from the person beside you. So that can be very wrong if your father looks very opposite of what we see in scripture as God the Father. Does that make sense? So to cry out Abba Father for a father who like when you think of a father as somebody who's aggressive or you know has big walls up in their heart, you, you, you struggle with that. Does that make sense? See, your view of father can look very different than everybody else's. You could have the most perfect father in the world, but still there's some things that you're like, oh man, God might be like that. Let me explain. My dad, I, I'm blessed. I'm one of the few people that I know who's, who's had like a really good Christian parents who love Jesus. I've never seen my parents like argue like, like their argument was, that's not a good idea. I don't think we should do that. And then my dad goes in this room for a few minutes. Like that was, that was ser- I'm serious. I'm blessed. I know that wasn't everybody's experience. I know that's, that's not the norm. But I want, to, I want to tell a story. That there was one time, like, so I, have a, I had a pretty good dad. I have a pretty good mom. Like, I can look at most of, their, most of their life and say they reflected who the father is 
they reflected who God's character is in a, almost every way that I could think of. But they weren't perfect. I remember a time I was in high school, and Ash is looking at me. She's like, did you get permission to tell the story? I did. I asked my dad. My family was always a family that we kind of became like a foster family to a lot of our friends. My sister's, one of her friends lived with us for a while, and there was a season where one of my friends lived with us because there was a lot of family issues in their families. And so my one friend, Mark, was living with us for a while. And Mark was troubled, let's just say that. He was trouble and troubled all at the same time. But he was one of my close friends, and we wanted to show him love. So if there was a season where we really just said, you know, here's how we live, here's how we work. And my mom and Mark would always, like my mom loved him, but it was tension because Mark would want to go out and get high on the weekends. He'd want to go out stay at this girl's house, and my mom's like, that's not how we do things at this house. So I remember one time, this is, this is back in like maybe 2000, and we had, th- nobody in our family had a cell phone, nobody. It was 2000, so you were rich if you had a cell phone, at least in my opinion. Um, and so we didn't have cell phones, we had a family phone, like with the buttons, you know, and it hung on the wall in the kitchen, and it had probably the longest cord ever Like, literally, it would stretch to the back of this church. Why? Because my sister loved the talk on the phone, and she was all over the place. So we had this massive maze that you just get wrapped up in and, like, fall over of a phone cord, right? And it was hanging in the kitchen wall. And I'll never forget this. Mark kept calling my dad at the house, and my mom was at work, and, and like, he was saying what he was going to do that day. And my mom kept calling my dad and saying, no, you tell Mark this. He's not going to do that today. And my dad's like, Mark, she says this, and Mark's like, I'm not doing that, and my mom would call back later, so my dad got tired of it, right, he went over to the phone, yanked it off the wall, went out to the back porch, and we had like a small, like fish pond, like real small, right off the end of the porch, which my neighbor kids, they were always squirting soap in the fish pond, killing our fish, it was ridiculous, anyway, my dad took the phone off, yanked it off the wall, chucked it into the fish pond, walked back in the house. And my sister and I were like, really? <laughs> now we don't have a phone, Dad. You're going to have to go buy another phone. You know that, right? Like, really? So my dad, in like this response to the situation out of anger, it's like the one angry story I have of my dad. So some of you guys might think that's pretty mild. He just threw a phone in the pond. But like to me, we always bring it up to him. Like, Remember that time, Dad, you threw the phone in the pond? That was hilarious. Like, really? Like, so we, but my dad's, even though I can look at my dad and say, you know, in almost everything, he was a really great example of what our Heavenly Father is supposed to be. I believe that you and I were created to reflect the Father. We were created to reflect his image. So even though my dad did that in most ways, there were still some places where like, Dad, easy. That's not the Father. Some of you guys might be thinking that's a strange story. But I wanted this morning, look at some of our backgrounds and our, and our examples of fathers in our lives. Some, I've, I've broken them down into a, f- a few basic father figures that we can think of that some of you might have experienced. And I want to look at them this morning. The first type of father, when you think of father, could be the angry control freak father. I don't know if you've grown up with that dad or not. I'm thankful that I didn't. My mom, on my other hand, she had the prime example of that. And I've shared with you some stories of how he, he was very abusive in every kind of way and, and an alcoholic and everything. But one story that pops into my head about this angry control freak idea is when she was a, uh, like a teenager, I think, 
um, he'd, give, he'd leave for work and he'd say, you have these chores to do. And he gave them a chore that day of getting every leaf out, leaf out of the yard. And they had a very big yard. It was like probably three or four times the size of this church. And he said, you and your sisters, your brother and sister, have to get every leaf out of the yard. So he came back at night and he found one leaf in the middle of the yard. He took all the leaves that they had piled up and threw them throughout the entire yard and sent them out at about 11 o'clock at night with no lights and said, pick up every leaf out of the yard. Like, that's what my mom grew up in. So when she, when she heard the word father, her logic went to that, angry, controlling father. For some of you, that might have been your experience or not to some degree or another, and I'm not trying to get back into that. But what I'm saying is that's not the father we see in Scripture. So if we begin to associate that word with our God, we won't be able to cry out, Abba, Father, intimacy, relationship, trust. So if that was her only experience, she couldn't relate to the God of the Bible in the way that's appropriate. We see in Psalms 145, verse 8 through 9, the Lord is gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. So we see the God of the Bible is not this angry control freak, do things right, or here comes the wrath, God. We see a God who's slow to anger, rich in love, full of mercy. And if we only limit it to that view of God, we'll miss out on the intimacy. My mom recognized that her father doesn't represent the father. She was able to recognize that. And I'm thankful that most people who know my mom, they call her like the nicest, the most friendly person around. Because my mom chose, I won't be like that father, I'll be like that father. There had to be a distinguishing moment where she was able to split the two and say, he didn't reflect who you are, but I will. I can look at my life and say, her experience was never my experience. The second one I want to look at is the distant father. Growing up, I had a best friend, and uh, his dad lived in Chicago. And so his relationship with his father was, I'll see you at Christmas, We'll talk on the phone once a month. I don't really know you too well. You send me a birthday gift. So his idea of father was not this, the same idea of father that I had. Does that make sense? And I think some of you might have grown up where you didn't even know your father. He just left. So when we talk about the idea of God as the father, you think of somebody who's like, they, they, hear you, they created you, they made you, and they're distant. See you later. Uh, I'll see you in Christmas, maybe, maybe when you graduate. Maybe that's your idea of father. And in Scripture, James 4, 8 says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. We see a father figure that wants intimacy and relationship with his creation. That same friend, Mark, that I talked about earlier, I was a friend with him forever. I was close to him. I tried to encourage him. What, what really struck me, though, was when I had kids, and he had four kids that he never saw. And he came to me and he said, oh, welcome to the Father Club. I'm thinking, you don't see your children. I cannot imagine waking up without seeing mine. I can't imagine the day where my kids move out. Like, I'm probably going to be that dad. Like, no! <laughs> That's the father that we have in Scripture. A father that draws near to us. 
The whole purpose of the cross, and I'll get back to this later, was so that we could be intimate with the Father. He was holy, he was perfect, and we see that the place of God's dwelling through Israel was in the Holy of Holies. And only one person, if they were spotless and clean through sacrifice, could go in there once a year and they'd hold a chain to him and drag him out. When Christ died, that veil was torn and we were able to go straight into the Holy of Holies. The Holy Spirit now dwells in us. He's, not, he's no longer in a place hiding from us. James says, draw near to him and he will draw near to us. We have a father who's not far off, not a God who only wants to visit you on Christmas and Easter or when it's convenient for him. We have a father who loves us every moment that we wake up. I'm glad somebody heard that this morning. That, I, we might have set a record for best response right there. I appreciate that. That was great. We have a father who wants to be with us. The next father that we look at is the, I, I, jokingly, I, I wrote this down as the show me the money father. So you can scream that out. Show me the money if you want to. I didn't really have any friends like this because none of my friends' parents were really that rich. I mean, some of them had money. But um, the way I would view this father is you, you think about Hollywood celebs, the kids who are always getting in trouble, you know, and they always get out of trouble because their mom or dad's rich. And in some way, whether we've grown up with that idea or not, I think a lot of us tend to view, this, view God this way. Like God's the God that if I need a new car, if I need a new job, if I need whatever, a wife, if I need, you know, that new, that whatever it is, we start crying out to God. God, give me the money. We're like, he's like this magical genie that we just like, these are my wishes. Make them come true because you're God. Do it. If you don't do this, then I don't really believe that you're God. Sorry. That's, that's the kind of, there's, there are people who view God that way. Like he's the lottery that we just keep pulling the thing, hoping for a big payoff. One, one day he'll pay us. And when we, when, we don't, when we don't see him pay us, we just distance ourselves. See, we, the, prodigal, the prodigal son is a prime example of this to me. This, the funny thing is the scripture actually calls it the story of two sons because there's the, there's the one who wanted the father's inheritance without the relationship. That's the prodigal son. And there's the other one who just wanted to work hard to get the, relationship, or the, the inheritance later. That's religion versus irreligion. But that's not today's message. But the story of the prodigal son, the one who runs away, he says, Dad, I don't really care about you. I want your money. I want it now. And I'm going to leave. In that scripture, we see that when he realizes his mistake, he comes running back. And the father embraces him and loves him anyway. I feel like a lot of us view God, our father, say, I don't really want the relationship. I don't really want the accountability. I don't want to do any of the work in your house. I don't want to really serve you and love you and, and, and have that intimacy. I don't want to cry out, Abba, Father, but I want you to give me all your wealth. I want, you to, I want you to make me happy. I want that white picket fence and that big yard. I want the dog. I want the wife who looks like a supermodel and the three kids who all are going to Harvard. I want that, God, but I don't really want to work for you or serve the church or, or wake up and seek your face and, and cry out to you. I don't want that. Just give me what I want. So there's all these different views of fathers that we can kind of accumulate in our mind. So when we hear the word Abba Father, we think, yeah, the father should give me this. Oh, the father's very angry. I don't want him. The father's very different, so it doesn't really matter. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, it says, Therefore I would tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. 
Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, all of his glory, is not arrayed like one of these. Verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow, is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore be anxious for nothing. And then verse 32, it says this. For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. We see in this verse that God is not this lottery ticket, give me everything, God. But he's a God that knows every need, everything you could possibly ever need in your life. He knows it all. We're supposed to live not anxious for anything, trusting in him. I like the very next verse, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We tend to want to be the God that seeks these things instead of seek seeks the kingdom. Does that make sense? I believe in a God who wants us to have happy lives. I believe that. I don't believe in a God who wants you to be rich. Maybe some of us he does want to be rich. Maybe that makes you feel uncomfortable. I believe that if you and I seek the kingdom, if my primary concern is, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want my life to look like? How can I reach the lost? Then God's going to fill every need that I can possibly have and meet every desire. But my desires have to be for his kingdom first. That's what he promises. He does not promise you a nice car. He does not promise you a ton of money. He does not promise you a beautiful house. He promises you when you seek my kingdom, I'll make you really happy. I'll fill every desire then because you're seeking me first. That's the God that we serve. He's not the show me the money father. He is the father that provides every need when we seek him first. These last two kind of go um, hand in hand here, I think. Um, This one I call the the do nothing dad. Um, You could either be the dad that's too old or too weak or too lazy to really do anything. One of my personal fears, and I talk about this a good bit, is that well, not now because I know how old I was when I had my kids. I never wanted to be that dad that when my kids are old enough to, like, throw a football that I'm, like, too old to do that. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I had a friend whose dad could not do anything. I went over to his house all the time. He's practically just sitting around in his underwear watching TV all the time. And I'm like, come on, throw, throw a football or something. Let's, 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 let's do something. I never wanted to be, that, to be that dad who, when my kids are teenagers, that I can't do anything with them, that I just kind of sit around. I do my own thing. I have my own hobbies. I do, does that make sense? That I'm not invested in their life. We don't have a father who's too lazy to invest in our life and be intimate and be, be close to us. That's not the God that we serve. He's not too old. I know a lot of us think of God as some guy with a massive beard. He looks like Zeus. He's up on the cloud. And he's like Methuselah old, like just real old. That's not the God that we serve. We have a God who never ages. He's eternal, and he's perfect, and he's strong, and he's mighty forever. Jeremiah 10, verse 12 says, It is he who made the earth by his power, who establishes the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding he has stretched out the heavens. This is the God. He's not weak. He's not too lazy. He's not too old. Isaiah 26, 4 says, Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. 
We have a God who is solid and strong and mighty for all of eternity. He's not some old guy just chilling in the clouds. I can't help them anymore. I created them and it took all of my energy. I'm done. That's not the God that you and I get to serve. So when we think of a father, he's got to be a father that's strong, that's invested, that's intimate. He's not far off. He's not angry. He's merciful. He loves us. That leads me to the next one, the the last one that I want to talk about this morning. I call it the best buddy father. I had a friend who, his dad was not a dad. He was a dad who wanted to talk about girls and tell dirty jokes and you know, go get his ears pierced and drive around in a Corvette. That's true. That's exactly what he did. Uh, so I, I mean, when I was 15, I thought this was the coolest dad ever. I go over, he's, he's not his dad. He's his best buddy. We're hanging out. I told him about the girls that I like. I didn't tell my family or anything. I told my friend's dad about who I had a crush on. I'm like, that's ridiculous. He's like, so what's this, what's this song remind you of? What girls, you know, what girls does this remind you of? I'm like, oh, man, we're having a good moment here. I'm going to tell him. That's the same guy who cheated on his wife and left for a much younger woman. And now that's my same friend who I told you about earlier who has all these babies and doesn't take. That's his dad. Our God is not this best buddy, hippie God who just wants to be your friend. We, we talked last week about that. You can go on, online on our City Lights page on YouTube and find one of the earliest videos. We asked, who is God? What is he like to you? And I talked last week about how all these people wanted their God to be a God who doesn't judge them, only the people who really, really sin, like the murderers and the rapists and the, and the people who do hardcore drugs is what the guy said. None of, the, none of the lesser drugs. All the lesser drugs are okay. God lets them in. But the hardcore drugs, God judges. But then the last guy talks about, my God is this macho man, Randy Savage, like he's awesome, he's wearing these sequin robes. People want to make God into like this cool guy that they hang out with. He's the jock at high school that everybody loves. No, he's not mad at anybody. That's not God either. God wants the intimacy, but he's not your best buddy that you can joke around with. Let me explain. First Peter, First Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but he who has called you is holy. You are also to be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Verse 17, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. I'll stop there. It goes on more. But I want to stop there. You and I get to have an intimacy to where we're not like God's not out to kill us. But there should be a a reverence around God. When I'm in his presence, I know that he is holy, that he could strike me at any time. But in love and mercy, he has chosen not to. In Scripture, we never see somebody see the presence of God and be like, oh, cool, it's nice to see you again. Let's hang out. Let's go get a, you know, let's go get a drink together and we'll talk about girls. We see Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips. We see Moses is full of, there's awe and there's fear in the presence of God. But there's also intimacy. So I'm saying all these different types of father figures that he's not. He's not this. He's not that. He's not this one because that falls short too. 
he's not my dad because my dad's fallen short. So then I asked the question, what do we compare our father to? What do we compare the Heavenly Father to? I think in Scripture it's funny because we see all this imagery. We, we see of who are, he's, he's a wind, but he's not a wind. He's, he's, he's a rain, but he's not. He's fire, but he's not fire. He's, he's this, but he's, but he's not quite that. We see in Scripture a lot of like little personal examples of what our God can be like, but it's not 100%. What we try to do as people, we try to either use our past experience to define our God, or we try to use these metaphors. So maybe he's like a superhero. Well, what superheroes have weaknesses, or, or superheroes have this. See, you, the truth is, you and I cannot compare our God to anybody. God can only be compared to God. He is his own example. And if you and I don't seek that out, seek and find him, then we will always walk around with bad understandings of who our father is. We'll always walk around with, well, this is how my dad was, so this is probably what it means by father. Or this is a good example, so maybe I'll just use this one bit here. See, because if we only read the one verse saying that God is holy, so I'm to be holy, and there's supposed to be fear in our hearts, we'll never want to approach with intimacy. See, the truth is, God is all of these things. He's holy. He can only be compared to himself. And if we don't get that, we'll miss out on intimacy. There will be something in us that prevents us from crying out, Abba, Father. You're the dad that I trust. You're the dad that I love. You're the dad that I honor. You're the dad that I want to follow in your steps. That if you say, here's how I'm holy, then I want to be like that. That's the Father, that when we talk about God the Father, that's what we need to seek. You and I have a responsibility to seek him out and find him and know that he's unlike anything else. You and I get to do that. I I shared on it earlier, one of the most exciting verses to me in Scripture is when that veil through the Holy of Holies is torn in half. That's exciting news. For so many generations we were separated from a perfect heavenly father. And there were all these things that we had to do to earn his forgiveness. But Christ came and he earned it for us. And so you and I get to experience who he is. My hope for myself is that I can be a dad, that the best I can, I reflect that father. My desire is to reflect that. But my girls will have to learn one day that I am not a perfect representation of the father. They've got to seek him out on their own. Hopefully, you and I point others who don't know him to what he looks like. But we fall, and some people have to find him on their own. That whatever your past experience with a dad or a father figure looks like, it might be a great experience. You might have had a dad worthy of the best father in the world mug. You might have had that dad. Or you might have had a dad that you really don't even want to talk to because he's hurt you, or he's abandoned you, or he's whatever. That might have been your experience. I'm telling you this morning, and I'm inviting you to find the father of the Bible, that he's good, that he's slow to anger, he's rich in love, that he's never far away, he's never distant, that you might not understand your experience with him, but I'm telling you, he goes beyond your understanding, that he's good, He's perfect in all that he does. This morning as we, as we worship again, I encourage you, ask the Holy Spirit to remove those obstacles of whatever it is, whatever your father 
whatever, however you think of him, ask him to reveal himself to you. Ask him to illuminate all the goodness. We, we call it the gospel because it's good news. But why is it good news? Not just because Jesus died on the cross to forgive us from hell. He died on the cross to forgive our sins so that we can have relationship with the Father. That's the point of the whole book. That's the point of why I'm speaking today. That's the point of why my wife and I would move to this city to become pastors. Because we believe that our Father is good. And each one of us should know Him. Thank you.